people. Hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS. This is episode 179, joined by my amazing co-host, Kai Sheffield, Head of Crypto at Visa. Welcome to the show, Kai. How are you doing? I am fantastic. We've got a great topic today. We've got some great guests. Web3 Social is going to be a hot topic for 2023, so we're covering it early, early in the year. That is that is correct. I mean, I'm so excited about this. We've been talking about this topic for quite some time in the planning sessions. Happy to be tackling this head on. So we're going to focus on this. This is super exciting. Right? Social media is it's one of the key components of Web2. We all use it. We all love and hate it. And it's important for many people's lives and businesses. This is a primary way of connecting, communicating, and working for a lot of people. Now, with Web3 becoming more and more prominent, how will social media transform and adapt into this new environment? Today, we want to explore the differences between Web2 and Web3 social media and really try to understand the kind of change they're bringing and what we can expect from them in the future. To take into this, we're also joined by Matic Flamand, CEO at Near Foundation. Matic, welcome to the show. It's super exciting to have you here with us. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me here and really excited to be uh, deep diving into Web3 and social and what it means. Love it. We're also joined by Naveen Jain, co-founder at Tari and Yacht. Welcome to the show, Naveen. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really excited to uh, discuss the amazing topic of Web3 social with you. Good, good. So before we dive in, just as a reminder to our listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they are representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice. So go do your own research. So let's get started. So we started from the very beginning, so we can kind of get a big view of all this. So I'm going to start with what is social media, what we use now, what do they mean, how do they exist, how do they make money, and what challenges or problems they currently have. So I'm going to start with you, Naveen, for our audience. I mean, most of our audience, I would expect, are familiar with social media, but let's try and break it down a little bit. What is it, and what role does social media play in our current modern lives? Yeah, great question. So, you know, the core premise of social media is really to enable people to connect with each other and build deeper relationships over this wonderful thing that we all use called the internet. Um, and uh, the way that they typically work is you go and you create an account um, on one of these platforms and you add a bunch of friends and you sort of like, they try to figure out your level of connection with these friends through something called a social graph. So, you know, do you have similar interests? Do you have similar likes? Do you like chat with each other frequently? There's lots of different communication tools, usually uh, on these social media platforms, you can post all kinds of content. And, you know, then ultimately, what they try to do is they try to essentially collect your information. And they use that information for their core business model, which is generally advertising. So most social media platforms out there are free for people to use. And they're essentially monetizing uh, your information and your actions on the platform. And believe it or not, your actions outside of the platform in many cases, you know, to create like the most targeted sort of opportunity for advertisers that, you know, want to reach you uh, to give them the opportunity to reach you. And in that sense, with that amount of data exposed, what are the problems that emerge from it in, in, in that degree of usage? Well, I think the first one, and by the way, Navin, I loved your, your definition of it. I think the first problem 
is the realization that that data is exposed, right? So number one, there's actually the huge amount of tracking that is being done on you that you, you could, we couldn't even comprehend of like the amount of, of tracking that's possible. And the problem number two is also that a lot of actually the content that we use to share on this platform we very often think that it is our content, right? So if I go on Instagram and if I'm an influencer and I take pictures and I, I create my following, I believe that this content is actually mine, that, you know, the pictures and the content I create is there. But it's not because actually in the T's and C's of what you release, it is not your content. And so it belongs to the platform. So that data, you know, just the sheer fact of having that used and exposed is something that is actually, I think we're starting to talk more about it. But the reality is that, you know, we talk about it because I think here we are pretty technologists. But the reality is like, you know, maybe the broader population actually doesn't, doesn't really know that or the effect it can have. And the second part is this false idea that actually, we own our content, but the reality is that if tomorrow Instagram decide that, you know, I'm, I'm non grata as an influencer because of whatever reason, then I'm going to be kicked out. And, and the years of effort that I've put on that platform to actually probably make my living are gone, right? So those are some of the problems that, that actually exist with the model that Nadine actually outlined. So those are absolutely all huge problems. There's another set of problems that I think we don't really talk as much about, and that is that the existing social media platforms create essentially like superficial connections uh, between people because the social media platforms don't actually know how passionate you really are about something. Like all they can really measure is your clicks and content you post. Um, but, you know, how do you really measure conviction um, for a thing and, uh, you know, on a traditional social media platform? And the answer is that it's actually really hard to do. And so that's also a very fertile ground opportunity for Web3 social because actually you do know what things people are passionate about, because in a lot of cases, you know what digital things, at least people actually know own and how long they've owned them. And whenever you own something or whenever you're passionate about something, you're on a journey related to that thing. And oftentimes the best human connections you can make are connections around like similar journeys. So for example, uh, Kai and I are both fans of an artist named Micah Johnson. You know, we're like huge fans of Micah. We both collect a lot of his work together and we talk about it with some frequency uh, because like we're both very passionate about his art. And actually we both started our journeys around a similar time in terms of our, you know, our, our journey into the world of Aku, which is Micah's like primary universe. And so there's like a lot to talk about. We can talk about being moon gods together. We can talk about his latest drops together. There's lots of conversations we can have. We can have a whole set of conversations about this because it's very crisp and clear that we have a similar level of conviction for the thing, which is not something that traditional Web2 social is able to measure. So is it fair almost to say, if we take a step back, like the difference between Web1 and Web2 was the rise of user-generated content. Like in Web1, it was really just a publisher, it was Yahoo, or it was a, you know, it was a magazine on the internet. And so they would run ads, but they'd run ads based upon people that were just reading and, and that's all that you had. Then you had web two, which was now you had a bunch of people uploading their entire lives to the internet, which would be crazy if you said that a while ago, that like everything you ate, like every all your friends was now uploaded to the internet. But it was almost this question of, well, who controlled and where were you uploading it to? And the only option is that you were uploading it to the servers of one or a handful of large companies now giving them access to that data and relying on their algorithms and kind of their business model, you know, to power that. And so is it accurate to say Web3 is, it's still user-generated content, it's just another option of user-generated content 
that can actually be put in a place, you know, I would say on chain to some degree that could give the, the creator of that content more control over the content than if they uploaded it just to the server of a traditional social media platform. I think I really like that parallel. But we could also add that it's user-generated content and audience-owned content as well, right? Because you're now shifting from that free-for-all feeling that we have with Web2 Socials, which is the service is free, but the product is you, right? So it, it changes the paradigm in terms of data ownership. And there's a bunch of devices we're going to talk to in the second um, section of how we deal with it. But I think you're, you're right on the point. We didn't change the nature of, of social as in creating content as we learned in the last 20 years. So that didn't change. But how that uh, content is being owned across creators and their audience, like Naveen illustrated, uh, is, is pretty much different. Go ahead, Merrick. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, I, I was going to go exactly in that direction and also say that in a way, Web3 goes back to the roots of what Web1 was intended to do. But I think along the way, what we what we found out is that, yes, you need to go to a central party and that central party has to have a business model, right? So the, 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 the profit generation therefore pushes for a model to say, well, if it's the data that I own and if it's what I can actually milk for a business model, then, then what, that's where it's at. And therefore with Web3, there is this hope to say, well, we can go back to the roots of what the internet was intended and therefore reinvent the ownership and keep the creation of that. And and it raises great question, which I'm sure we'll go into, but which is like, okay, what's going to be the business model, therefore, of this Web3 social media platform, right? Because at the end of the day, everybody needs to, you know, <laughs> things need to have some sort of like financial incentive for them for them to work through that. But yeah, I think it's a it's a way to say we are going back to the roots of what was intended. I like the uh, parallel. Uh, I think we touched upon this in a past episode between the current state of Web3 with, say, PFB NFTs, which is the profile pictures that are now stored with the help of uh, NFTs, and GeoCities. If, if we go way back, like you alluded to Web1, GeoCities was probably the first personal website that was possible to uh, write and publish, uh, which at at that point, we didn't make much of it, right? It's a personal website with your name and maybe like a flashy banner going across the page on HTML1. And 20 years later, we have social media, which is not only a business model by itself, but is maybe helping topple democracies around the world, right? Now we have NFTs. They have this specific you know, use case on PFBs and a few others. What is the role of NFTs? What's going to be the role of NFTs in like in, in the long run in the social space? I mean, what do you guys think NFTs is going to evolve into? Hopefully, not to topple democracies. I'd say. Yeah. So I think that first of all, the way that we understand NFTs today is, uh, I'd say, it's pretty like foundational in nature. You know, it's it's uh, it's early. Uh, in terms of, I think, what people are going to do with NFTs. So that's the first thing I'll say. Second thing is, I just want to call out, I don't know that Web3 social is really about you yourself owning your data. I think it's actually more about the open sourcing of your data. Because if you think about um, most of these blockchains, they're, you know, this is a little bit of a hot take, but they're they're essentially surveillance chains in a lot of ways, because your data is just out there in the open. So your entire transaction graph is 
available to be queried. You know, there's there's no privacy really at all. Um, people know how much money you have. They know all the assets you own. Um, and then there's the opportunity for people to build really amazing um, uh, interfaces on top of that data uh, that previously weren't possible. Um, the role of NFTs, uh, just to get to your question, um, I think is like crucial because ultimately, I think Web3 Social is ultimately about this thing that, you know, internally in our org, we call the conviction graph. Like it's really about this idea of, okay, shared ownership, knowing that you actually own the thing, knowing how long you've owned the thing, knowing how many of the thing that you own, and now being able to connect people together around those like core uh, metrics, which Web2 Social, you're not able to like do that really. Uh, because they don't know what you own, right? Like it's you you log into a, a a meta product, for example, and they have no concept of what you own. They only know what you click on. Um, so now we know what you own, uh, and and we can create really incredible social experiences that you know kind of blow your mind uh, around that and enable you to create like much much deeper relationships with other people. And that at the end of the day is like the core of social media. And I like the concept of conviction because it means that you're putting your money where your mouth is. It's you're yeah. purchasing those assets. So if you're buying something for their value, be it an artistic value or like a collectible, um, that means you're backing up the artist, the concept, and potentially the consequences as well. Yeah, yeah. One one other little hot take too is um, uh, a lot of people think about the creator economy and they think that um, okay, there's like a group of people who are creators, and then that implies that there's a group of people who aren't creators. I actually think that there's this opportunity to completely democratize what a creator is. We are all creators. Every single person is a creator. And every single person has the opportunity to essentially monetize their creation by making it an NFT, right? And making it limited in nature and enabling other people to own their creation. So it can be as simple as a meme. Maybe you come up with a really funny meme and people go, oh my gosh, that's really awesome. And I want to collect that meme because um, it's it's funny, it's cool that I own it. It's something that I can flex in the future. And it connects me closer to the person who invented the meme and other people who thought it was fascinating and fun to collect that meme. So like the idea that there's this whole world of creators separate from consumers, I think essentially goes away with Web3 Social. Everyone essentially becomes a creator as much as they want to be. Um, and it's not really, it doesn't necessarily have to be out making money. Like, oh, this is my primary income stream is I'm a creator. It can be just, oh my God, I, I came up with something really funny or I posted something really interesting or I came up with a really cool idea and now people can essentially quote unquote own that with me and that creates like a new level of connection and new level of community because it's again tying into this concept of a conviction graph. So it's almost like it's a, it's a new class of content that can be created that has you know specific properties where I think about there's like all the photos that are in your camera roll uh, and I, I do volume shooting. Anytime I'm taking photos, I just take a lot of different photos. And then there's like, okay, the the one photo that photo that you like enough uh, to to post on on Instagram or on you know social media. And then there's like, well, do you come up with some idea of how this photo becomes a meme? You know, by adding a caption and doing some work and playing yep. around with it. And then now that becomes this masterpiece that you know you think is going to go viral and evoke these emotions that a lot of people relate to. And then you mint that yeah. and that goes on chain. And so it's like this another class of like, you know, is it everyone's going to just mint by default every photo that they ever take from the camera? Probably not. Are there some that like no. they're not worth minting, but they're worth posting? And so just another class of content that consumers create and any consumer takes photos 
now they're not a photographer. Any consumer could make a meme. They don't have to be a creator is what you're saying. Yeah, let, let, let me give you an example really fast. Um, so uh, again, going back to the Micah Johnson example. So I remember, uh, I think it was you who turned me on to Micah Johnson in the first place. So you like send me a message on Telegram and you're like, hey, Naveen, check out this amazing artist named Micah Johnson. And then ultimately I ended up collecting Micah's work and you know I'm a moon god in his world, just as you are, right? Um, so I, I own a bunch of Micah Johnson work. It'd be so dope if I could save that initial message that you sent me that sent me on this journey, you know, down this road. Like right now in social media today, that's temporal. It's entirely temporal in nature. It's lost in a sea of messages. It's lost. But maybe it, it's kind of like that whole thing that people do on Twitter where people will post a tweet and they'll say like, oh, this is going to age well, or I'm going to come back to this tweet in six months or whatever it is, right? So don't think about minting something as simply like connected to commerce. Minting something can also be connected to it is now immutably available in the future. And I'm putting a marker on it in the future because it's a part of our shared journey. It's a part of storytelling. See, the thing that's interesting about the way human beings work is every single human on this planet is a storyteller. Every single person. There's like a bit, we have billions of storytellers on this rock in space. And yet again, we have this like idea that like, oh, well, only so many certain people are creators and certain people aren't creators. Well, no, no, no. That's nonsense. If you think about it, we're all creators. We're all telling each other stories. You told me a story about Micah Johnson that I fell in love with. And I was like, oh my God, I got to go all the way down the rabbit hole with this amazing artist. And I did. And I'm so happy that I did. And I'm forever grateful that you sent me on this rabbit hole as an example. Now, that's not something you would ever sell. You would never mint that, you know, private DM that you sent to me uh, and, and sell it to the world. Like, it's not about the commerce, but it's about, it, it's, a, it's, it's a token and a symbol of our connection as friends. Does that make sense? It, it does. And, and I think it's a nice segue into the next section of our conversation, which is what components of Web3 are making that possible and how. So we talked a little bit about uh, NFTs, which is one of the standards for that. So I'm going to turn to you, Medic, on this. And uh, in terms of the underlying technology stack, what are the factors that we're bringing in with the Web3 stack that are making all of these journeys that Naveen was was pointing at uh, possible? And in, in how do they work together? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. The, the premise on what we talk about is obviously, you know, uh, having a stack that works on a layer one, or as Naveen was saying, like, you know, at some point you need a blockchain where you record actually what's happening. And then uh, upgoing on that, you actually do need to find a way to reproduce the social graph that, that was mentioned. And most importantly, and I think that's, that's one of the challenge right now, uh, you need to have very good UX, right? So you need to have a way to actually interact with, you know, this constant pulling and pulling on the chain of the data you want to see, uh, the information that you want to record. And, and that's where usability of the underlying, you know, blockchain or protocol that's being used is actually extremely important. Because imagine if you, you know, today when, for example, you interact with a, with a chain, very often it's through a wallet and you need to actually, <laughs> You know, click on every transaction you want to do, or, or or have that. Like that's not you know that's not a seamless experience. That's not something that actually enables you to interact the way. Imagine if for every um, I don't know every WhatsApp chat we wanted to have, I need to click on my wallet to say like yeah, please process this uh, this transaction. Doesn't really work. So point being, uh, there there is you know a number of 
on on the existing blockchain like what are actually then the elements that that come into play to actually enable this seamless user experience um, which ultimately this decentralized front end is the part where you know where different things um, different things can can commune and, and happen together so usability of the underlying protocol or chain or whatever is being used is actually a, a key thing for seeing the rise of this web3 uh, social um, social media so in a, in a way what you describe you know you could say like web3 is kind of unbundling social media and web two, where like web two is entirely vertically integrated. You know, it's the the platform that decides, okay, you know, what, you know, cloud, you know, software they're going to use, what, where, what servers are going to actually, you know, hold the content. They're building the social graph and the algorithms around how to use that content and the data to form some inferences about connections. They're building the interface in the applications that consumers use. And so you have a, a really good consumer experience, but all of those pieces are vertically integrated together. And then even applications on top of that, it seems like there have been challenges in the past where because of the control that you know, a social media platform has of the whole stack, if you want to build an application on top of an existing social media platform, you might not be able to, to do that, or, or maybe they take the API access away versus... With Web3, what you described, it was like, you know, you could have, you know, a blockchain, which is, you know, a number of independent entities that are, you know, operating nodes. You could have a wallet. Maybe there are many different wallets that you could use within a social media platform. You could have an application, but then maybe many competitive different applications. So each of those layers, you have more choice, but the interoperability of how those fit together. Um, and so, I mean, what does that mean, Naveen, for like, application developers, if I remember correctly, used to build Facebook games. You you spent some time in like building applications on top of Web 2. And so how do you think about what you get building applications on top of the stack that Merrick just just described? Yeah, totally. So it's true. I I built a Facebook game um, So back in the early days. So that's certainly true. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a lot of power that comes from this sort of disintermediation of the sort of like underlying data set. So again, the blockchain data is out there, it's public, anyone can essentially access it. So therefore anyone can choose to build on top of it, right? It's permissionless. That's one of the core concepts of like web three, right? Um, Another core concept is that, you know, the data on these like distributed databases is immutable, right? So um, in other words, it doesn't change, right? It's like once it's there, it's baked and you have achieved finality it doesn't change. So you know that it's like reliable in that way. It's like a higher form of truth. It's not something that some third party company can go and change the truth, right? You know, the the truth is out there actually on the blockchain. And so then the challenge as Marie sort of referenced is uh, is the user experience stuff because it's it's fine and dandy to have uh, this like data available. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're competing for consumers' attention with, many other beautifully designed things, right? So uh, you think about amazing applications that people use every day, like Netflix or iconic video games like Fortnite or Minecraft, or uh, you think about just like all the things that people spend time on, like the average American spends over seven hours a day on their iPhone doing something, right? Like they're, maybe they're on TikTok, you know, the average session time on TikTok is 35 minutes, right? So you, you have to think about that and say, okay, well, gosh, in order to win, in order for a Web3 social platform to win, uh, it has to be designed in a way where it is creating the same level of dopamine response 
as the existing products, if not more, if not better uh, than the existing products that already exist in Web2. And that is actually the Achilles heel of our entire industry. The amount of design thinking that's happening in most uh, sort of like Web3 organizations is a rounding error compared to the amount of engineering thought uh, that's happening. And that's like a fundamental challenge uh, for many projects and, uh, you know, builders in the space is, you know, it's, it's very easy to get excited about the amazing amount of engineering and innovation from an engineering standpoint that's happening in our space. There's novel new forms of cryptography, there's new forms of consensus, there's all these kinds of like amazing things that are happening because distributed software is like really challenging and it's also really fun, right? It's really fun to build like distributed systems and think about all the challenges that exist around building distributed systems and distributed economic systems, especially. But at the end of the day, we're competing with TikTok, right? Like TikTok is not distributed. TikTok is centralized and, and TikTok is able to create an incredible, really addictive user experience that, you know, you, we have to be able to create something like that. Otherwise, people are just not going to use Web3 Social. So that's, I think, like one of the biggest challenges that we all face together. I have one uh, perspective on one specific uh, area of Web3 that adds a lot of value to social media, which is the identity bit, right? Um, because you have to create a wallet or have a on-chain identity that gives you access to some of these services, it's expensive to achieve. So I would hope that in the context of this beautiful UX that we're aiming to build on Web3 to compete with Web2, we also bring some degree of limitation on what bots and fake accounts uh, can do with hampering and hindering that experience. Because we we just had you know a recent episode on the world of social media with the purchase of Twitter, for which the price was put into contention because of the bot and fake accounts, and 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 this is detracting from the actual value of a platform. Because if most of your users are fake, you don't really have a social network. You have a bots network, and bots are just for, you know, exploration. So I think the fact that you have to, again, the service is free, the product is you. In Web3, you pay for everything, but you also own everything, uh, would then make it harder for organizations because these are not individual uh, people doing stuff. This is organizations uh, trying to exploit uh, that area now that they have to go and pay for the access and pay for the use and pay for uh, the security of the transactions. This provokes also a new security paradigm in that context. Yeah, it's it's interesting just on, on that point, Mauricio, to think about like, I've always felt like it's hard to imagine a world where like every action that you take on a social media platform, you have to pay. Like, you have to, if you want to like something, you got to pay like a fraction of something. It's just because there's this mental transaction cost. Do I really want to like it or not? And so while yes, that would defeat bots, I think that would be a, a difficult experience to compete with TikTok if like every time you had to like, you had to pay something. But if you just take an example like, you know, PFP, like NFT profile pictures, like if that became the norm and whatever social media network, you know, exists and is dominant in the coming years, it's like pretty much everyone has a PFP as their profile picture. And if the prices of PFPs weren't 
$100,000 apes, but you could get a PFP for a dollar uh, and you have a, a wide selection of what to choose for. Just that like simple change. Now it's a question of like a bot farm that is spinning up thousands of accounts that is then using increasingly sophisticated AI to like sound like they're real accounts. They're going to now have to go buy a PFP for every thousand accounts and there is some cost. And so it's interesting to think about like, are there ways to introduce a elements of a kind of web three consumer experience that can add to the experience in the sense of you have a PFP for a community that you're in that can also you know be defense against some of the challenges with bots and what those balances are you know between them. And so I think the PFPs are just one of those early use cases that seem like they make a lot of sense for the future of, of social media. Exactly, as you said. So um, th think about it beyond uh, PFPs too. So it could be, um, for example, game assets, you know, like my save state, for example, for a particular game or particular assets that I own in the game, an armor, a sword, a magical potion, whatever it is. Um, it could be tickets to events I've been to. And, you know, it's like categorically true that I own this like particular asset and it's an on-chain asset and I went to this particular event. And it's also the culmination, the combination of all of these things um, together that create this thing that, um, again, internally we call the conviction graph. It's like, okay, so let me give you an example. Uh, let's pretend like you and I both play a video game. Uh, it's like a, a space sim or something. You own a starship. Uh, it's a destroyer. I also own a destroyer. We bought it around the same time. We both collect Micah Johnson's work. We both, you know, are are into say something else. Yes, there is a real cost for a bot to come in and masquerade and build a relationship with you or myself. It is also arguably impossible for a bot or much harder for a bot, impossible is a strong word, much harder for a bot to come in and masquerade because they will never be able to own the asset for the length of time. Like someone would have to plan the bot attack well in advance uh, in order to really uh, like connect with you and you and me at the same level because the part of the way that we're connecting, it's not just binary ownership. Like a lot of people make the mistake and think that the way Web3 works, it's about binary ownership. It's not about binary ownership at all. It's also, there's an added dimension, which is the length of time that you've owned something. So, oh, you and I have both owned the Destroyer for six months. You and I have both been playing the video game for six months. You, you're on level 40 because you're better at the game than I am. I'm on level 27. But you and I have a lot to talk about related to this game because we've been on the journey together over the course of six months at, you know, in the same way someone wants to create a bot and connect with you, well, did they also buy a destroyer or start to get into the game six months ago or not, right? And so, so time becomes another uh, you know, preventative tool in terms of managing sort of bot attacks on a Web3 social network. And it comes down to the cost of opportunity. The higher it is, the harder it is for them to break into uh, the graph. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an economic and time cost. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap up Give a little time to reel in our sponsors, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities, and Visa's helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of Visa-accepting merchant locations around the world. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. 
So welcome back. So we covered the what and the how of Web3 Social. So let's look into what are the developments, what is being built, and what is uh, the, what are the trends that are coming to. So can can you, uh, Merrick, um, give us a little bit of examples of what you're seeing in this sector, what is being uh, drawing your attention to what is being built on Web3 Social so we can kind of start to explore a little bit of these examples. Yeah, absolutely. And look, so uh, in the near ecosystem, actually, we're seeing quite a lot of that theme of, you know, Web3 Social and actually owning your content and how you can actually flip some of the relationships that we've been uh, talking about. So I'll give a couple of examples very concretely. There is an app, for example, it's called Uminter, uh, and it's reinventing what Instagram uh, is and actually the experience looks so slick like it's beautiful it, it has this very you know um, we, we were talking about user design thinking and it, it has that right so it has that knack so that's one um, on the near uh, protocol we also have another app called niche uh, niche is actually uh, folks who were previously at tinder and bumble and facebook so the team that is behind that is absolutely stellar and here uh, the same thing right reinventing and flipping on its head the model that we've been that we've been talking about and last but not least but one of the things that we're super excited about, um, it's called near.social. And actually, at the moment, it, it, it's a platform where you can you can basically create the profile you want. It's very developer-focused because it's in its very early days. But on near.social, you can basically create a wiki page. You can have your profile. You can, you can glue different things that you want to have together. And I think, to me, that's really one of the most promising ways because it, it doesn't, you know, it looks like very promising. We've had, like, traction, and we can see that traction be very organic on it. And it's really living true to those fundamentals of, of how and, and what the next Web3 uh, experience could be. I would add because you also mentioned that Maurizio, but it's um, towards the end of last year, in particular because of the acquisition of Twitter, it, it almost felt like there's never been a moment that felt oh, this is definitely what Web3 can actually help tackle. Because when you're in a place where you have one person that is, you know, prominent and can decide on everything, and that one day says that, you know, um, there is no censorship, and then the next day actually say, well, actually, there is censorship just on this and that, then you're starting to touch things that, you know, are completely counterintuitive on, on values of Web3. So I'm expecting that 2023 is going to see even more of this platform that are coming up because it's very thematic. And the things that are going to be very important for that are, as we discuss usability but also then it, it's all going to be about marketplaces because ultimately this platform you know we talked about tiktok tiktok wasn't born in a day and tiktok had a you know a very smart go-to-market and the same if you think of you know uber in a way is also is a sort of social media it does it does an action but but you could also classify it that way so there's going to be a lot of actually barriers and things that need to happen to get adoption of that but but the rise of those you know examples that i've mentioned that we see and that's just on near protocol. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of other in, in other areas, but it's actually uh, it's extremely interesting to see what what will get real traction. Any particular uh, examples uh, you have, Naveen? So I've played with a lot of um, Web three social products, at least in the Ethereum universe. I generally think that in many cases they're overly skeuomorphic uh, from a design standpoint. So like there are products that look and feel like Instagram, or products that look and feel like Twitter, and and that may end up being the thing that's successful, but we already have those things. Like one of one of the challenges, like anytime you're building a startup, one of the one of the key things you have to keep in mind is whatever you're building has to be 10x better than the thing before. And so the thing that I'm not yet convinced on uh, is is the thing that's 10x better something that looks 
similar to Twitter or similar to Instagram or similar to YouTube or similar to these ex existing things. Um, I remember when I first started building websites for artists, like back in the day, uh, there's this really funny thing that sometimes people would do. They'd call me and say, well, Naveen, gosh, you know, we really, they're going to be these eight, you know, pages on the website. And, you know, when you're going from page to page, we really want it to look like a flipping book, like you're flipping the page of a book. And that's an example of a skeuomorphic design choice, right? It's like, okay, well, it's called a web page. And so it should look like a book. You're flipping the page. Well, does Web3 Social end up looking like Twitter or Instagram or these other platforms? I don't know, right? I don't have the answer for you. Um, so yeah, I, have I really encountered a Web3 Social product yet that I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually like remarkably interesting. Um, the answer is not, frankly, no. And I think that's why a lot of them are struggling to get any like sort of like real meaningful traction. And so the things that I think are really interesting from my point of view are teams that are really focused on some of these really core dimensions of conviction graph, you know, and there are, there are products being developed out there that I am aware of that um, are, are focused on that sort of area. And I'm excited to see those things come to market because uh, they're experimental, right? And then the other thing, as I said before, is I really, really strongly believe that in order for us to be successful, there has to be an entirely new level of investment into design. You know, like most of the protocol projects barely have a single designer on the team. I mean, it's really kind of hilarious. They'll go and employ 50 engineers or 100 engineers. You know, uh, you know, people will talk about like performance on GitHub as like the performance of the protocol. And I just want to call bullshit on that, like bullshit, you know, like that's great that developers are, you know, active and it's awesome that we're making technical progress, but where the hell is the design progress? Where the hell is the like design thinking? And I think that's like the opportunity. Yeah. And I love that because actually then what happens is also like, but I've done a great thing. And actually how come it's not working is because I don't have enough marketing. And I'm like, well, no, no, no. It's because <laughs> there is no, you know, what's the problem you're solving actually does it does yeah. the job that needs to be done. And is it really thought through in terms that is like a seamless user, user experience? I think the stuff you said also like the 10 X experience is so true. And, and I, I agree with the fact that, you know, is it by reproducing the same user journey and trying to, to flip that? Is that, is that breaking through it pretty needs to be something that we can't even you know imagine that being said you should check near.social <laughs> yeah yeah sure i mean i'll check it out I'm, I'm i'm excited to i mean i think yeah at the end of the day um the way that i personally invent products or like work with our team to invent products is um i really try to dip into like core user psychology like what is really motivating to a person so okay like every human being wants to be seen we all want to be seen. Like, does our life have meaning or not? Right. These are kind of existential questions. Like, um, you know, every single person wants to, you know, know that other people are on a similar journey as them. Like, that's how we connect. Right. Like my favorite band of the world, Kai knows this, like my favorite band of the world is Rage Against the Machine. It's my favorite band. Anyone who comes to me and is like, oh, Naveen, you know, I've, you know, I've also bought Evil Empire. And I'm also like, oh, my God, when Bomb Track comes on, my head explodes, you know, like that's a way to connect with me because that's like my favorite band. Right. And, uh, and so we're always searching for ways to connect with each other because we are social creatures right at our core. And so I think a, a lot of um, the challenge that I think teams have in our space too, is they get too intellectual. They're not really thinking with their heart in terms of like the core psychology, the core motivation for, for human beings. And then that also results in like, frankly, overly skeuomorphic thinking. Like they think that uh, another another major problem is like the field of dreams thinking, right? Like, oh, I built a protocol, so people are going to build on my protocol, and it's like, well, no, 
why is someone going to build on your protocol? No one cares. Most of the protocols are ghost towns, right? Like most of them. So, um, and, and even, even Ethereum has a relatively small number of users. Like if you really, really think about it, there's 4.6 billion internet connected people on the planet. And, you know, like how many actually active people are exist in the Ethereum ecosystem? The answer is probably a few million, maybe, you know, like it's not a huge number, right? It's a rounding error compared to the overall size of the internet connected population. So I think we're very insular as a community today. And we really need to think bigger and say, okay, well, you know, the average person out there, why are they going to care? You know, and what is it, what's what's in service to them about this new experience? What is going to really connect with them at an emotional level? That's what TikTok has nailed. TikTok has nailed that in the greatest possible way from their point of view. So so it's interesting to note that like today, the starting point you know, in January 2023, you know, even crypto and NFT people, these social networks of choice are still Twitter. You know, crypto Twitter still exists and places like Discord. And so part of the question is like, will the Web2 platforms be able to add web three functionality profile pictures you know token gated you know, messaging uh nft drops but and take that customer base and be able to evolve or will it be brand new web three native networks and i've the experience i've had playing around with some of the web three social platforms is there's a lot of value to this concept of the conviction graph and i think of it as like a social commerce graph of all of this on-chain data of purchases but I've gone to a number of platforms where that's the only thing in the feed. And so I can follow everything that my friends buy. And like, it's cool to see what NFTs are they, they're collecting, but I can't even comment on it. And so it's like, you have to have a combination of like, I want to be able to comment and like, and like have some like content and how do you integrate in actual on-chain commerce data? I follow a bunch of Twitter bots that just read out like when sales happen of NFT projects that I like. And so how these two worlds come together, I think is gonna be really interesting to watch. And like, I think what Instagram has done with NFTs, you know, they've now, you know, they've had some artists have sold out in 10 seconds. And so it's very clear that the existing legacy players are awake and looking to innovate and how how the two worlds come together, I think we'll start to see over the next, you know, 12 to, to 18 months. It's definitely gonna not going to be a jump from Web 2 to Web 3. We're going to go through Web 2.15, 2.5, 2.72, I don't know, until we get to a point where all uh, parts of the business model and the technology stack are uh, native Web 3 and, uh, well, we'll be together in this journey. So we need to wrap up. It's a great conversation. Thank you so much uh, for the guests for joining us. Uh, let's see, where can people find more about you and your companies, uh, Medic? Yeah, uh, I mean, the easiest is go on near.org and then I'm going to say, oh my God, I'm on Twitter. So yes, if <laughs> you really have to. But otherwise also, uh, yeah, why not on, on near.social if you need to start having a Web3 social experience? That's a great plug. Naveen. Uh, yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Naveen Spark. Uh, on Twitter. And then if you want to follow Yat and our journey for Yat, we are What's Your Yat on Twitter, or you could just go to y.at. Um, and yeah, would love to connect with folks who are interested in what we're doing. Awesome. Kai. On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and visa.com slash crypto. And you can find me at 0xMauricio on Twitter, Mauricio Magaldi on LinkedIn, and obviously 11fs.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. 
We have lots in the work this year, and we're so excited to be talking about crypto and blockchain with all of you again. If you can't wait until the next episode, take a look at the many previous episodes and get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider, or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.